Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you all for being here. We're excited uh, that we are back in person. This is the first time that we've been together uh, since before Christmas, which almost seems like uh, forever ago. And then all of you that are watching online, of course, we are excited that you are with us this morning and that you chose to worship uh, with us this morning. Uh, and of course, before we get in, in, into worship, this week has been uh, certainly an interesting one. Uh, and this is a week that you probably remember where you were uh, on Wednesday. Although with regards to 20, uh, 2020 and 2021, there's a high chance that you were probably uh, just at home anyways, watching everything uh, unfold. But having said that, uh, you know, we just hope that as a staff that this is a morning uh, that we can dedicate to Christ and that we can praise him. So would you just join me in a quick word of prayer before we get into our worship? Uh, dear Lord, I thank you that we just have this opportunity to come together. We have this opportunity to worship you, Lord. And I pray that uh, with whatever feelings, emotions that we might be coming with this morning, that we are able to just lay them on you, that we are able to just worship you, and that this service is one that you are pleased with, and that this service is one where we walk away feeling closer uh, with you, that we feel closer having worshipped you, that we feel like we sung your name the best we could this morning, Lord. Uh, and so as before we get into worship, I pray that we just let our hearts just be open to what it is that you're trying to say to us this morning. And I just give thanks for uh, all that you've done and all that you continue to do in our hearts. And I just pray this in your name. Amen. Good morning and welcome. It's so good to see you all this morning. And we're welcoming those who are joining us online, as Jack said earlier. So at this time, I'd like to invite you to stand as we lift our voices together as one church and give our God the songs of praise that he so rightly deserves. To sing in the valley, to look toward your goodness. My heart's set on who you are. You're the light that consumes the dark. The joy and the strength to lift up my hands and sing. bring you more than words I enter the gates come reckless with praise I'll bring a heart that wants you first all for your glory Bye. 
together. In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word. From a throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the
whole creation you did not despise the cross for even in your suffering you saw to the other side knowing this was our salvation Jesus for us take you die praise the father that stone was moved for good for the lamb had conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel, shall not faint, by his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free, for the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. Well, good morning again, everyone. Uh, we just have a few quick announcements as we start to roll uh, into the new year. Uh, for our, some of our children ministry, uh, they are meeting online at 10 a.m. Uh, on Sunday mornings. So if you're watching this live, then you have currently uh, just missed that. But if you're looking for next Sunday uh, for them to be online, and that is what you're comfortable with, that is available. And you can, of course, to reach out to our church office to get the information for that. Uh, and also, if you are uh, comfortable with your children meeting in person at 11 o'clock, we are uh, returning to uh, Children's Church uh, over in the sanctuary. So if you are interested uh, in that, that is available as well. If you're watching this live, if you hurry over, you might be able to make it uh, before that ends. But next week, that is definitely going to be available, and you can look forward to that uh, for your children. Uh, coming up for our youth, we are going to be starting Zoom meetings uh, on Sundays at 6 and 7 for our junior and senior high uh, and that starts next Sunday. So if they are uh, looking for ways to get connected with the youth again, uh, that'll be available. If you're not, we have a remind uh, group that we send out messages to, uh, and you can get the information from there. And, of course, you can reach out uh, to the church office or myself for that information. Uh, as a staff, we want to thank you for uh, your generosity uh, as a church, as a congregation. 
Uh, every year around uh, Christmas, New Year's, uh, Jeff Leonard presents the staff uh, with a gift from uh, the church members, and normally we're up on stage uh, all together, and that's handed out, but that's just not the case uh, with uh, 2020 and 2021. Uh, so those were just given to us beforehand, but we would just, as a staff, uh, want to thank you for your gen- uh, generosity in that. Uh, and also, uh, any flowers uh, from the uh, Frank Johnson funeral that there was uh, that was this past weekend, uh, they're not up on stage with us, but they're in the lobby, and you can see them uh, around the church in different spots. So if you are looking for them, they are here. They're just not up on stage with me. Uh, and uh, ways that you can connect, we still have our Facebook, uh, Facebook Live. We have our YouTube. Uh, we have Spotify. We have Facebook. We have our website. All ways that, uh, again, you can connect with us, and we can get connected with you and let you know of all the future things going on. Uh, within the church. And also just to thank you again uh, for giving that has continued and that has allowed us to continue the ministries that go on here at St. John's. And so uh, before we get into uh, Mike's message, would you just join me in another word of prayer? Lord, again, I just thank you that we have this opportunity to worship you. Sometimes I can get lost in all the craziness of Sunday morning of even getting here and just trying to relax from the week that we've had. Lord, we have an opportunity to come together with fellow believers and worship your name. It's been a crazy week. It has brought up many different emotions through many different people. Lord, but at the end of the day, it is so comforting to know that you sit on the throne. That you are the king of kings. And who knows what this year holds? Lord, but I pray that it is one that is dedicated to you. Many of us have made uh, resolutions, goals that we've set, Lord. Some of us have already abandoned them potentially. But Lord, ultimately, I pray that our goal for this year is to make it about you. I pray that people are able to look at the individuals here and just see you through them that people driving by might look at St. John's and recognize your love simply because of our community. This country, this world, our community has drifted from you. And there's people that don't realize how much you've sacrificed to have a relationship with them, Lord. And I pray that we can go out and show that to them, that we can show the love that we know that we received. We can show that to others, Lord. We can get on a path that is glorifying to you. And so whatever this year hold, Lord, I just pray that we're following the steps that you've laid before us. You have a plan for us. You want to guide us. You want to lead us to where that is, Lord. And I pray that it starts here. Maybe it's this Sunday. Maybe you're trying to stay on the path that you've walked. Maybe you felt close to God this year. Maybe you felt distant. But whatever it is, Lord, Maybe this is the Sunday that we start. This is the Sunday that we kick off our commitment to you in this new year. Tensions have run high. Frustrations have run high. Lord, let us be reminded that you are at the front of it. I pray for our country. I pray for all the elected officials. I pray that they turn to you. I pray that they come to know you, and I pray that they seek your advice. Whatever we may do in this new year, Lord, 
I hope that it's dedicated to you. And the message that you've placed on Mike's heart and that you speak through him this morning, Lord, I pray that it glorifies you and that it moves us as a church to get closer to you. Again, Lord, I give thanks for all that you've done in our personal lives and as a St. John's community. I give thanks for that. I give thanks for what you're doing this morning, what you'll do tomorrow, and what you'll do in the coming year. I just pray, Lord, that we can follow those steps and that can start this morning. I give thanks for your love and the gift that you've given to us. And I just pray this all in your name. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. So one of the places that you would expect uh, or that would be the least expected places and times that a book on being the church and Christian community would be written uh, is in a time of war, is in a time of oppression, is in a time of difficulty. Uh, but there was a gentleman by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and uh, you may recognize that name, uh, I think his famous, uh, most famous book is The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, we referred to him actually a couple of Christmases ago uh, because in writing to his parents, uh, he made a statement that we must continue to celebrate Christmas despite the ruins all around us. And uh, I probably should have saved that illustration and used it in 2020, but I think I used it in 2018. Uh, but I thought it was just a powerful thing. Uh, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer in the early 1940s wrote a book called Life Together. And we're not actually going to refer to that a whole lot, but I want to give you just a little bit of the context of that. Bonhoeffer was a German uh, pastor, and uh, as uh, Adolf Hitler uh, came into power and uh, things began to uh, get tense inside of Germany, Bonhoeffer left Germany and was actually with a uh, a Christian community of believers. Uh, I believe it was in England, but not uh, quite sure if I remember that uh, correctly. And uh, it was after that that he received an invitation to come back into Germany and to pastor and to lead, uh, that there was a, uh, a need for leadership and for pastors and for um, you know, people to speak truth and uh, to be there in the midst of the people of Germany, even during a trying, trying time. So uh, against uh, some people's advice and at risk for his own safety, Bonhoeffer goes back into Germany and he begins to pastor and teach. And, um, and actually speak out against Hitler and against uh, the Nazis and some of the things that were taking place. After a while, Bonhoeffer was arrested, and he went from uh, one person to another and eventually was interred in, in a couple of different prison camps. And actually, uh, Bonhoeffer was executed uh, just days before the Allied forces liberated the prison camp in which he was. But Bonhoeffer's uh, life and ministry, not just there in Germany, but in some of the books that he wrote, uh, continues to shape the church moving forward. But I thought about, about this as, as we were preparing for uh, January and what to talk about in a, in a new year, the importance that continues to come back to what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ together. And so uh, I thought about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and you know he's writing in the middle of a war, in the middle of uh, you know Nazi Germany, and he's talking about the nature of Christian community and what it means to be the church. Those were not ideal times. Those were not, um, you know, times where everybody was together. The church was scattered. The church was even perhaps divided uh, politically. The, the, the church was uh, not able to operate on all cylinders in terms of programming and activity. Uh, but yet Bonhoeffer wanted 
the Christian community inside of Germany and beyond uh, to know that there is never a break, there is never a vacation for what it means to be the church. And so uh, this subtitle for the series is uh, something we came up with. It's not from Bonhoeffer, but I think it's in the same spirit. How do we be the church when everything we think about church is different? And, you know, we've said throughout the whole pandemic that the church is not a building, it's the people of God, it's the movement of God. Uh, But I think even, you know, deeper than that, we want to begin to unpack and think through how do we be the church when everything we've come to expect and know and pattern in terms of what church life is, is different. How do we still be the church? And so, you know, for Bonhoeffer, that was inside of Nazi Germany. For us, it's here in the uncertainty. We don't know what 2021 will bring. But uh, to think about how it is that we do life together, living in the present. Because um, the mission of the church has not changed. The marching orders for what we've got to do hasn't changed. The call of the gospel and the demands upon your life and upon my life of how we treat one another and how we uh, relate to one another hasn't changed. The posture of who we are to be in inside of our community, how we're supposed to treat, how we're supposed to love, how we're supposed to relate, how we're supposed to engage has not changed. There are several things that are different and everything perhaps that we have patterned our lives in terms of schedules and, and times and places maybe has changed, but The call upon your life as a Christian to be the church has not changed. And so for the next six weeks, we want to talk about how we do church. And we don't just want to talk about it. We want to give some practical ways to step in and engage. And we're still working that out. As you know, it's probably not going to be event-driven. There are some things that we can do, and then there are some things that we can't do. But what are the things that we can, you know, even just tangibly do to demonstrate this, to practice uh, this together. Now, what we're going to use kind of as our our framework for life together are the one another statements inside of the New Testament. When you read through, there's at least, depending on the translation you look at, but there's, you know, somewhere around 55, some people have said 68, you know, somewhere in there, one another statements. Now, these are, are, you know, the literal word or, you know, two words one another that show up inside of the New Testament. It doesn't account for the number of times where you is talked about to almost be like you all or y'all or you guys or, you know, the collective, you know, plural of you because as you read through the New Testament letters, you know that there are a variety of places that says this then is how you should live and it lists off either a set of behaviors or some attributes. And so the entire New Testament is focused on how we be the church together. But specifically, there are some one another uh, phrases uh, that are sprinkled throughout the New Testament that really give some guidance and direction to uh, this idea inside of our lives. Most of the time when, for instance, the Apostle Paul will write, <clears throat> the first half of the letter will be about theology, doctrine, belief, orthodoxy. You, you've heard that term in And orthodoxy simply just means right belief. The second half of the letter will be more of the relational things. Uh, How we treat one another, how we act towards one another, uh, advice to husbands and wives and parents and kids. And and that is, you know, what has been 
you know, this is not a word that we often use, is orthopraxy, which is right living. And so for Paul's letters, and you, you see this as well in the letters of John or uh, Peter or some of the other places inside of Scripture, there's a practicality of what we know and believe and the identity we have in Christ also then shapes how we live, how we act, how we relate to one another. And so you have to have both. It's not just enough to believe the right things or know the right things or show up at church, or be a part of a local church, but then how we live that out in terms of our character and in terms of our relationship is at the heart of what it means to be a Christian and to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to be a member of his church. And so inside of these uh, one another passages, um, we're not going to get to them all. I want to start by highlighting for you some of the negative ones. Um, these are ones we're not going to talk about, so you should be thankful for that. Um, there's a, there could be some awkward moments inside of, inside of this, but there are phrases like, you know, that you are not to lie to one another or slander one another or hate one another, uh, judging one another, devouring one another, destroying, provoking, lusting for, envying, grumbling against, depriving, or my favorite, uh, say it with me, we, you know, I will not fight my fellow, you know, this is, a, this is something for church nurseries everywhere. Um, you know, to put up, but uh, that kind of, you know, metaphorically speaking, that we are not to devour or to bite uh, one another. Now, these negative behaviors, they are specific, right? Um, This could, you know, when you think of destroying one another, that could be a general term, but it is also a very specific statement. And I want to remind you that inside of the New Testament, these are Letters that are written to particular churches in particular cities. Each each and every one of these New Testament letters has a context. I've mentioned to you before also that there is limited parchment. This is not an email or a Microsoft Word document that could go on forever. But when Paul takes a, a piece of parchment and he dictates to somebody, most likely, who's writing the letter, there is a finite amount of space and words that can be used. And so for Paul, as he writes to the church at Galatia, or as he writes to the church at Corinth, or he writes to the church at Philippi, he is talking about specific things. And in the beginning, again, it's theologically rooted about life in Christ and the identity in Christ and and grace and and sin and forgiveness and mercy and, and all these different things. And then as the letter begins to shift, you can almost assume, you can almost understand the context by knowing what he begins to write about. In fact, sometimes he'll say, you know, and I urge Eodia and Syntyche, these two ladies, to get along with one another in the Lord. He is writing about a specific situation inside of the Philippian church and giving advice, giving feedback, and continuing to teach the larger church then of how they should live. So the reason I bring that up is to say these are not just general things. You know, I want to write this letter to the church. I want you to put up a poster. These are the things to not do. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. These are all written as specific behaviors in specific context. The reason that's important is not just to show that these are real things, But I think it's to say that we need to be very specific inside of our lives as well. You see, it's easy to be general. 
And to say we should love one another, we should, you know, respect one another, honor one another, we should, we should pray, we should do these. And, and we're going to talk about some of those general concepts, because I think inside of those general words, you get some summary statements um, that you can begin to draw from. But I think it's important inside of the Christian life to get specific, to get specific. Because it's easy to say, oh, after all, I am trying to follow Jesus, but after all, you know, I'm a bill and all the bill men before me, we've always done these things. My dad used to do it. My grandfather used to do it. And so, you know, it's just natural that I would do it. Or you know what? Every, you know, Christian out there once in a while, uh, every once in a while lies to somebody. And, you know, I'm hardly the only person that's ever lied to someone. And so I know it's not right. I know it's not what Jesus would have me do. But after all, we're just all sinners who are saved by grace, and I'm never going to be any different. I think if the New Testament gets specific with these local churches, and this has been preserved for us to be you know, passed down that we read it, it means not just that we have a checklist of what to do or not do, but I think it says something about being specific about the behaviors inside of our lives, confronting them for what they are, not being content that I can just continue to allow these things to take place inside of my life. In fact, if the Holy Spirit is pointing out something, I think we have an obligation to respond to it. Does it mean your salvation's in jeopardy? Does it mean you're a bad person? Does it mean you can't come to church? None of that, but it just means if greater is he who is within you than he who's within the world, when the Holy Spirit begins to speak and identify something inside of your life, that is a blessing and a gift from God and something that we don't want to ignore. All right, but luckily for you, we are not going to talk over the next five weeks about how to not lust for or bite or provoke or judge. Um, You know, some of those things might come up, but that's not how we're going to structure the series. All right, let me give you a couple of of positive ones also. And again, these are ones that are not necessarily going to be the outline for us, but edifying one another, accepting one another, instructing, being of the same mind, greeting one another. Incidentally, you've read, you know, one of the common ones is to greet one another. Sometimes it says with a holy kiss. But I wonder, you know, the significance there that uh, four or five of the one another's in the New Testament are about the importance of greeting and welcoming one another, waiting for one another, caring for one another, being kind to one another, submitting to one another, confessing our sins to one another, showing hospitality to one another, and offering fellowship to one another. These, again, are just some of the phrases that are out there. Now, here's where we're going to go for the next six weeks. Today, we're going to talk about Uh, kind of in an introductory sense, what it means that we are members of one another, that we are members of one another. Next week, we're going to talk about honoring and being devoted to one another. The week after that, talk about uh, encouraging or building up one another. The week after that, uh, forgiving one another and the power of forgiveness, not just uh, towards other people, but what that unleashes inside of us when we uh, begin to engage that way. Serving one another, and as an extension of that, praying for one another. And then finally, we're going to wrap up on Valentine's Day talking about loving one another. And you're going to come in, it's going to be red, and there's going to be hearts everywhere, and we're going to give out candy. And no, I'm just kidding. We, we might give out candy because that sounds fun. Um, but we're going to talk about love not, not just as a sentiment or as a, a general want to inside of our lives, but how we practically and tangibly love people well.
So that's where we're going to go. And like I said, you know, those are, are kind of six of the more general words, but I want to get specific. I want us to think, you know, about concrete actions and ways that we one another well, that we do church together well. Because I think uh, the world is watching, and I think it matters, and I think it's an extension of your faith and of what the gospel is trying to unleash inside of your life and through your life, uh, that we do this and do this well. All right. If you have your Bibles, you want to read uh, a brief passage out of Romans chapter 12. Now, Romans chapter 12, uh, specifically verses 1 and 2, were the first verses that I ever memorized. This was the theme for uh, Delanco Camp in 1991, uh, the first uh, week that I went to Delanco and the week that I gave my heart to Christ. And specifically, Romans uh, 12, uh, 1 and 2 have always like stood out to me as those kind of life verses. And, and I think there's a reason, I think there's some importance to that uh, that we're going to get to in just a minute. But Romans chapter 12, uh, beginning with verse number 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather... Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as to each of us has one body with many members, uh, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so as I mentioned before, uh, you know, for Paul, this orthodoxy, orthopraxy normally uh, you can almost, for instance, in the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters are orthodoxy, the, the second uh, three chapters are orthopraxy. In Romans, it's a little bit different because Romans is Paul's most theological book. It, it's, it's the longest and it's the most intense of the letters. And so for 11 chapters, Paul lays out the essentials of the Christian faith. And so many of the verses that we read and think through, like, for instance, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And, and that the gift of God is eternal life. And uh, Romans chapter 8 that talks about all things working together or life in the Spirit. There is so much packed into Romans chapter 1 through chapter 11. But the hinge point I later learned in seminary after I had memorized Romans 12, 1 and 2, the hinge point in the book of Romans is the beginning of chapter 12. Therefore, in light of everything we've already described about grace, about Jesus, about mercy, about what, what salvation looks like. Therefore, in light of all that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. In other words, based on all that God's done, your right standing before God is not in anything that you could do, but it's found in and through Jesus Christ alone. Now, because that's the case, the fitting worship for you is to offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. Don't be conformed to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, in light of everything that God has done, your life should look different. 
And when your life looks different, that begins to take shape in terms of how you relate to other people. And so he says, you know, every one of us should view ourselves or see ourselves kind of with sober judgment that we're not the center of the universe. But instead that we are members of one another, that we belong to one another. In other words, in light of everything that God has done and who we are in Jesus, now you also not only don't have to live just for yourself and your own appetites and your own ambitions, you live for one much bigger and greater than yourself, but you also have been linked together with other people who have that same identity and that same life's mission. It's almost as if Paul is saying the most personal, intent, intimate thing that you could say about you is not really all that individual. The most important personal you know, thing that you could say about you is that you also are built together with other people in Jesus Christ. And so the Christian faith was never meant to be an individual thing, even though individually he has purchased you and redeemed you and set your feet on solid ground. But it was never meant to be for you alone. Your identity and your faith in Christ is rooted inside of relationships with other people. And it's meant to be expressed inside of how you live and exercise that faith in the midst of a broken world. So the phrase that we are members of one another, also uh, that we are one with one another, that we belong to one another, or even to be of the same mind with one another, occurs throughout the New Testament. In John chapter 17, Jesus on his last night with the disciples prays for unity. And he ties that unity to the fact of just as, Father, you and I are one, may they be one that the world might know that you have sent me. So the same oneness that there is between Jesus and the Father, that the same oneness that there is in the Trinity, that, that three in one, uh, that, that they are in perfect alignment and agreement, that same unity is how the world is going to know that Jesus is real. And so it makes a difference. It makes a difference to an outside world that wonders if what we believe and say is actually true. It makes a difference if the portrait of the church is one of division or one that's unified. It makes a difference if there is anything about how we live and order our lives as compared to people who don't name the name of Jesus and how they orient and order their lives. It makes sense then that if this is Jesus' big prayer at the end of his earthly life, it would make sense then that the enemy of our faith, that Satan would make it job one for him to bring division and to bring disunity and to bring disintegration to the body of Christ. And so I wonder if one of the reasons we have a list of negative behaviors that Paul writes specifically to local congregations, is that this is always going to be a tension. This is not easy. This is not automatic. It is also not extra credit, but it is something that we are built for and designed for, but it is not easy and it is not automatic. It takes work. But it's how the world will know that we belong to him. 
Philip Yancey wrote a book called Church, Why Bother? And, and, in, and inside the book, he goes through uh, the Apostle Paul and his metaphors for the church, that we are God's field or that we are God's building or that you know, we're the body of Christ. And in talking about those biblical metaphors, he also goes on to offer some metaphors of his own, modern-day metaphors, if you will. And there's two that stick out to me. The first is he says that the church, that we are God's locker room. That if you've ever been part of a, a team sport, that there is something that takes place inside of, you know, th- that bond of people, that there is a oneness there, even though there are different positions, there are different skill, skill abilities, maybe even at times there, there is tension or there's conflict, yet there is a oneness. And what you see inside the locker room on a championship night where everybody's happy and everybody's celebrating is forged through practices and drills and times where it didn't go well and so we did it again and the times where we've become team together, there's a oneness inside of that picture. The second one for Yancey takes us back into 1980s television, and he says, I wonder if the church, if the church should be more like cheer. You know, cheers that you want to be where everybody knows your name. You know what's surprising to me is that the first service was much more on top of that than you all were, but I would, would normally not think of that, but um, you want to be where everybody knows your name, that there is something, that there is a sense of belonging, there is a sense of identity, uh, there is a sense where you feel known, uh, that there's a community that takes place. And, and I like the fact that Yancey, as he thought through those modern-day analogies of what the church should be, that there's a oneness, and oneness doesn't necessarily mean that we always agree on everything. Oneness doesn't necessarily mean that we, you know, never have to raise our voice. We never get annoyed at another person. There's never any conflict. But I think instead, we learn to do conflict well. We begin to handle disagreements a little bit better. We begin to prioritize people even over uh, being right or being loudest inside of situations. Because as Jesus said, it's how the world is going to know that I am who I said I am. I wonder what it would look like if Christians begin to do this better. And I know, you know, trust me as I say that, there is no hidden agenda here. I know that we are living in conflicted times and difficult times and polarizing times. And, you know, all you have to do is open your social media account and just see how polarized we are. And I don't think there's an easy answer to just say, can't we all just love and get along? But I do think that there's a point that we have to begin to wrestle with these things, not just through the lens of what is best or what is right or where am I going to align myself, but what does it look like to live as a disciple of Jesus Christ right here and right now? I think it's at least worth asking that question. That it's important how we do this because we belong to one another and how we belong to one another becomes the most powerful testimony of who we are and, maybe more importantly, who Jesus is. So, a couple questions for you. As we wrap up today, what, what is kind of just an introduction to this. I think it's important, again, that we get practical about this. So the first is, where have I drifted from community to isolation? Where have I drifted from community to isolation? Now, This is an unfair question coming out of 2020, because it could be that the small group that you are a part of hasn't met physically since March. 
It could be that the retreat that you normally go on was canceled. It could be that your life situation that you used to be, you know, part of, you know, youth men and now you're in college or you used to be, you know, part of one group and now that group doesn't meet. And But again, let's get beyond just the schedules and the logistics of this and let's think about it in terms of relationships. Where have I drifted from community to isolation? Whether because of life situations, whether because a relationship fell apart, whether it's because I got busy doing other things or it's just easier to not. Because the reality is, if you need people, even when you don't realize or it doesn't seem like you need people, our natural tendency is to drift to isolation, either either of our own choosing or just because life takes us that way. And again, I think it's worth asking the question. I don't even know what you do with the answer. Because I think how the question is answered determines what the next step is. And if you are completely alone and you feel totally isolated and it is affecting your psyche and your well-being and your relationship with God, then you need to reach out and talk to somebody now. If this is something where you've just drifted and there are key relationships inside of your life that have just grown casual, maybe this is just the time to pick up the phone or get together in a socially distant way and just spend one hour with one person just talking. It doesn't have to be that, you know, you get back to life as normal, but what you do with this question is going to be different for every one of us, but I think we at least need to ask it, where have I drifted or how have I drifted from community to isolation? Second, and again, this is a big one inside of our political and our cultural climate. Where have I allowed allowed personal beliefs or theology, or ideology, or political viewpoint, or whatever. Where have I allowed my personal beliefs to choke out community and relationship? And so the relationships get set aside because we can't agree. Because he's a nutcase, we're just not going to chat anymore. Because I disagree with her on this, we really have seemed to lose touch. Do you know where I see that we sometimes do this well, and we don't always do this well in this regard, but sometimes with family, when you know that there are people that you have to be around, but you don't agree with, you learn what things you can talk about and what things you can't talk about. Now, in some ways, this isn't healthy because there's elephants in the room, and we never talk about them, and then eventually they blow up, and and I get that, but I think one of the things we do when we do that in families is we begin to prioritize the relationship even over being right or being loudest or or being able to solve the problem. And if what you've been given and what you've been tasked for is how we one another, and I'll use that as a verb, like if we want to one another well, it means we prioritize people over stuff and ideas and conversations and viewpoints and issues. And we choose be people-centered. I suspect that there was somebody or some group of somebodies who did that inside of your life. That maybe there was a time, and maybe it's still the time, where you were a little bit outspoken on something, or maybe you were wrong about something, or you were extremely narrow about something, and there was somebody who continued to love you anyway, and it made a profound difference inside of your life, even if you still disagree. Because life is comprised of relationships. All right, 
So these two maybe are a little bit heavier. The third is just a very practical one. Who needs to hear from you this week? Maybe you could ask it, who do I need to hear from this week? Because it might still prompt the same response, but who needs to hear from you this week? And this is not to to raise your level of self-importance that somehow unless you pick up the phone, somebody's life's going to fall apart. But it's to say that if life is rooted in relationship, I can't fix the world's problems. I can't make COVID go away. I, I can't, you know, solve the, the political situation inside the, of the United States. But who needs to hear from me this week? Maybe over the phone, maybe by visit, maybe you just drop off a casserole on a front porch, maybe you write a note. I don't know what it is, but again, I think it's worth asking the question, who needs to hear from me this week? Maybe I'll just add a fourth question, and that is, are you a member of the family of God? Because we talk about belonging to one another, but it's easy to do that from a very peripheral way and talk about being a part of the body of Christ when if the central part of that, that my life is hidden in and found in Jesus Christ, that is the foundation of your identity as a person, and it's the only way that we'll be able to get this relational thing right. Let's not neglect that foundational question either. I want to close and just share with you, a couple of years ago, we did a church-wide study called I Am a Church Member. And it wasn't so much about, you know, being a member of St. John's in kind of the organizational sense, but what it means to belong to Christ and therefore to belong to one another. And the chapter titles that really became the six commitments or the six statements about that, I think at the outset of this series are worth reminding us or setting before us. So I just want to read down through these and not really talk a whole lot about them. But I will be a functioning church member. That this is not a passive thing, this is an active thing. That I will be a unifying church member. That I will not let church be about my preferences or desires. I will pray for my church leaders. I will lead my family to be healthy church members. And I will treasure church membership as a gift. What struck me and what took me back to remembering this is I think it's important that we think intentionally about this. Remember the Apostle Paul, he's writing back, and there's only six chapters in Ephesians, and there's only four chapters in Philippians. And yet in the middle of that, it's not all just about theology and and big picture things, but it gets practical quick. And I think we need to constantly set this back to being practical because otherwise we could say, I love Jesus, I try to do the right things, I mess up sometimes, but life's okay. And we live in this world of generalities, and I think we need to get particular, we need to get specific in as many ways as we can if we're going to do this better than we currently do it. The church is God's idea. He's the one that's the head of it. The church is also something that you and I are a part of. And that our identity is found that we are members of one another and that we are found in him. And if you're a part of it, then you also have the responsibility of living into the reality of what it means to be connected with one another. I think it's important that we begin to embrace this idea and work towards it and to work at it, not just for the sake of our faith, but for the sake of of the faith of the next generation. So I'm excited about these next five weeks and what we're going to talk about, where we're going to go, and we're going to throw some ideas in of ways that we can begin to wrestle with that and, and you know, some 
some tangible ideas. And maybe the idea one week is just, you know, drop a note to somebody thanking them for your in, their influence inside of your life. And when we talk about forgiveness, you know, we're going to give you some tangible things to do. And there might be some church events thrown in there, you know, as, as we think, you know, are appropriate and allowable. Uh, but we want to begin to do this better over the course of these weeks. Let's pray. God, I want to pray that you would continue to speak inside of our lives. Lord, if there's ways that we're moving towards being more isolated, Lord, that you would just give us a step or a path forward. Lord, if there's places where we get so locked into and distracted by just the important and the weighty, but the things that are going on all around us, that it chokes out relationships that you would guide and lead us and direct us. And Lord, specifically, I just want to ask, like, who needs to hear from me this week? Lord, we can't fix this. We can't, you know, check the box and say that we've, we've done it. But, Lord, part of what it means to belong to you, that for the rest of our lives, we want to be people who want another well. We pray that you would give us guidance, that you would give us even the courage that we need. Lord, even just to take the steps that you would have us take in these uh, next seven days. We thank you that you have invited us to be part of your body, to belong to you and to be found in you and known as yours. And we pray even as we relate to one another that you would help us even do this just a bit better than what we're currently doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So please stand as we continue to worship. Who am I that the highest king would was lost but he brought me in oh his love for me oh his love for me who the sun sets free oh is free indeed I'm a child of God yes I
there's a connection there that the most important thing, the most personal thing about you is that you are a child of God, that you've been purchased, that you've been redeemed, that you've been forgiven, that you've been set free. And as a part of that, he links your life that as a child of God, you now have a family. And it's important how we do family well because the outside world looks and says, is their family any different than everything else I see inside of the world, and if not, why would I bother checking it out? I hope that doesn't put pressure on us, but I think it raises the importance that it, how we do this is not only important for your life and for the lives of your immediate family, but our impact inside of the world around us. And so, God, I pray that you would dismiss us, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would lead us and guide us, that we would love and serve and invest and prioritize people even this week inside of our lives in such a way that others might see you even living through us. Go with us, we ask and pray in the powerful, the awesome, the matchless name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Go in peace. Have a great week. There.